Hello. Uh, some of you will think, didn't we just see her a couple of weeks ago? Yes, you did. Um, please don't think this is my uh, grab at taking over the pulpit. Um, it's just bad planning on my part. So um, it is really lovely to be here and to be sharing with you again. And um, I am going to be speaking this morning about resilience through opposition. Um, I can't remember if I showed you this photo of our prison uh, the, the last time I spoke, but this is Woodhill, where I currently uh, work. And um, it's based in Milton Keynes. We're about 30 years old. And so, um, you know, we're one of the modern prisons as opposed to some of the Victorian prisons like Pentonville um, and those other kind of um, quite uh, uh, old prisons. We, we celebrated our 30th birthday. And um, it, is, it is a a unique privilege to be able to work into that environment. So um, some of the uh, story this morning that I'm going to share comes from, from that. Um, in the 22 years that I've worked in the prison service, I feel sort of strangely qualified to talk about opposition. Um, you know, sometimes things do go well. Uh, let's start there. Um, so they do go well. Um, this is a photo of um, the orchard that we recently planted. Um, and the chap with the orange hat on is actually one of our prisoners. And um, it was a real delight to me that when we worked with the Conservation Trust, we were able to um, embed all of these trees around the establishment. And actually now we've got polytunnels that are growing about um, 10,000 saplings that are oaks. Now, those oaks won't be planted in the prison, but there's just something about growth and something that just delights me in terms of how we operated as a prison. This other photo is of our main walkway, um, which has uh, got trees in it. Every so once in a while, I have to kind of take the tops off them because um, we don't want anybody actually climbing them. And so, um, you know, we uh, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm aware we're being streamed this morning and good morning to us if you're joining us online. Uh, so I won't say more than that about um, some of the security breaches that could happen if you climbed a tree. Um, so, yeah, so things do go well occasionally. But there is a lot of opposition. Uh, the current situation I find myself in is about 68% of our staff is what we operate in on an average day. So we've got over 100 vacancies of prison offices. And that can mean that between the prisoners and the staff and my bosses and maybe even government ministers, there's a lot coming at me that sort of asks the question about, you know, how are you doing this and what are you doing? How are you going to improve? Where should you be aiming for? And I wonder, even as you just hear me say that, whether or not some of you are like, damn, she's talking to me. You know, all of us will have our own opportunity in life to face opposition. And I remember, actually, uh, when I first started worshipping at King's Arms, I'd moved into the area, I'd been to a coroner's court, and... Um, my staff team and my barrister sort of just warned me, um, Nikki, the, there's camera crews outside, the local press are here. And so, you know, I sort of flicked my hair the right way and walked out with my shoulders out high, and it wasn't the greatest moment, because what happened was they jumped out from behind this big sort of um, pillar and sort of followed me around, and I was so nervous and shaken that I ended up just walking randomly away from my car, because I didn't want them to see me getting into my car, and I, you know, ended up, when they stopped following me in the middle of nowhere, thinking... Now I've got to like do the walk of shame back to my car. You know, opposition can happen. And that went out on the local news, I think on the Thursday, all about our prison and this great footage of me trying to avoid my car. And on the Sunday, as I walked into King's Arms, Royden was on welcome. And I tell you this story because we've just heard from the amazing Jackie. And Royden greeted me with, 
you have had a tough week and then gave me a hug and it made me feel, first of all, this is the church I want to belong to. And then secondly, it made me feel seen and understood and it made me feel that somebody has got my back, even in the face of opposition. So we are going to talk about opposition today, but the way that we are going to do it is to actually look at it through the lens of encouragement. Um, I'm going to dip into the book of Nehemiah just very briefly. I love the book of Nehemiah, mainly because he, like myself, was a civil servant um, and he followed this path of obedience to leave the Persian king that he was serving or the Persian empire at that time and went off in obedience to God. But these three lenses or these three encouragements I want to share are this, look up, move close and hold tight. And actually they were first shared with me by someone else about seven years ago and I'm now passing them on to you. Because I believe that these are the way that every single one of us is going to find resilience through opposition. Look up. Let's have a look at that first one together. Well, you know, if you are a leader, let me just say, I think there's kind of an invitation for opposition. And in actual fact, as a Christian, probably the same. If any of you sitting here genuinely think that by the time we meet our Savior face to face, we will have got through this life without opposition, I'm here to break that fantasy. It is going to face us all, but we get to have a look at the opportunity of how we do that. In fact, if you're a parent in the room, you will have faced opposition. If you're a parent of somebody who's 2 or 12, 3 or 13, 23, I'm sure there's been opposition both ways in that family sector. Maybe it's with your neighbours. Maybe it's with your colleagues. All of us will face opposition. And Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, fight the good fight. So we will have opposition, but we get to fight it as a good fight. It's not as a Christian if opposition shows up, it's when it shows up. And, and I've picked this because this is something I'm going through right now. And it shows up in three main ways. The first one is spiritual opposition. We are going to face spiritual opposition Paul describes it as a fight that is not against flesh and blood, but instead against the heavenly realms of this dark world. We are in a spiritual fight and we need to pray that our eyes will be opened so that we can discern that and see it. We get opposition from the spiritual. The second way we get it is externally. We get it from people. There's circumstances, the world around us you know, people that are just discouraging us. There's opposition there that we face. And the third type is actually internal. This is the fight within ourselves. This is the intrusive thoughts. Some of you will be very familiar with those. This is the, should I? I don't know if I should stay or if I now need to move into that area. This is the emotions, the internal. And actually, just sort of reflecting on it, there could well be a fourth. Because yesterday, I decided to make the most of the sun and attack the bramble bush in my garden. And I would like to say that probably nature can also oppose us because I came off for the worse. And um, yeah, as I was slathering this lotion onto my uh, 
kind of arms this morning, I just thought, well, if you see them, I'm okay. Um, but let's just remind ourselves a quick trip of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, as I said, was an amazing guy. Um, we pick up the story in chapter four, but the two-sentence summary is this. He was a civil servant who was serving a king, and he was weeping. Because for years and years, the walls of Jerusalem had not been rebuilt. And God stirred his heart. And rather than just uh, weep and mourn and groan and moan, he thought, actually, I believe God is calling me to use my skills. And he knew that he was being obedient by going to lead the group of Jews, to gather them together, to organize the efforts to uh, rebuild these walls. And the incredible thing in this story is that having lain broken for so many years, when he got to this, he faced opposition, but he kept going. And just to give you a spoiler, the end of the story is that it only takes 52 days for him to rebuild those walls. And I mean, what is not to love about that story? Somebody who's facing opposition and ta-da, the end is, you know, victorious. And I think that when we look at the Bible, one of the things that we can do is to look read the word, apply it into our own lives and think, so what? What is the evidence of that into my day-to-day -day job? And that's what we're doing today. We're gonna start with looking up, looking up in times of opposition. Chapter four is actually titled, Enemies Oppose the Rebuilding. I mean, it kind of gives it to us there, doesn't it? But you know, there's two characters that enter the story in chapter four, Sambalat and Tobiah. And they are discouragers. We pick it up in verse two. Sambalat comes along, they're good at using their words to discourage, and it says this. When Sambalat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry. Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring stones back to life? He's scoffing. And then along comes his pal Tobiah. Verse three, whatever they're building, even a fox which climbs up on it will break it down. They're using words and words are powerful. And I wonder if anyone's spoken words over you like that, where you recognize Samlat in your own life. Maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a teacher. You won't be good enough. Your dreams are a little bit too aspirational. You want to be an astronaut? Nobody's an astronaut. Well, Tim Peake would beg to differ. You know, what are the words that the discouragements? You're not really that gifted. You think you're good at that? Where is Samblat speaking to you? What words are you listening to? What words that actually intellectually that you know are lies are you allowing in? And I had someone um, in my prison uh, member of staff, junior member of staff, um, who had worked there many, many years. And when I arrived sort of eight years ago as deputy governor and then moved up to governor, um, it was as if he made it his personal mission to get me when I was down. And there was something about his words that deeply managed to wound me most times we met. And um, it was a case that on this one occasion, um, I'd made my way again to the ladies' loo just to have some privacy in the cubicle to cry. 
Um, and I went back to my office and I shut the door. And one of my friends on the senior team, who um, is a colleague and a friend, realized if the governor's door's shut, you know, she's clearly upset. And came in and was just like, what is going on? Why are you letting him get to you? And I was like, <laughs> and she said, do you respect him? And I said, no. And she said, then why are you listening? Why are you taking on board what he said? Now, she was not a Christian, but they were common sense words that the Holy Spirit used to help me to look up, to lift my head up again. I was looking at the problem. I was allowing his lies to affect me as truth. And she was saying, figure it out. He's lying. And she knew that he had attacked my character, which was a raw spot. And actually, from that moment, I started praying about the situation, praying about him. And in a couple of weeks, he handed in his retirement papers. So, you know, I'm sure retirement has blessed him, and it's certainly blessed me. <laughs> so, ridicule can cut deep. It can cause discouragement and despair. Look up in times of opposition. I had a boss who once said to me, what's a personal dream that you have? And I replied, I think I'd really like to write a book on leadership. And he responded, do you think you've done enough to write a book on leadership? Now, I'm gonna be really honest with you. I have thought about those words far too many times. I've thought about them a lot. But it is not his words or his place to kill that dream. And whether I write a book or I don't write a book, if God is the creator and the giver, God has good plans for us. And when I look up, I remember that. I remember that it's not the lies of the enemy. He comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. But when I look up, I remember I belong to the overcomer. Hallelujah. We look up. We look up. We look up. Secondly, we move close. And we pick up the story here um, in Mark chapter 5. Oh, in fact, sorry, let me just go back to this because um, I think this is a point I want to make. Mark chapter 5, Jesus also heard words like this. Jesus was on his way to answer the call from Jairus to heal his daughter. And um, you'll remember that along the way, he um, was allowing uh, somebody who had touched his robe to just have his time. And when the time they got to Jairus' house, they were met by somebody that said, don't bother the master, your daughter's dead. The little girl is dead. Don't bother the master. And even when he then arrived at the house, people who were already mourning, and he said to them, look, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And it says they laughed at him. But Jesus went into that room and raised her. He healed her because he chose not to listen to those words. We need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit over the voice of the discourager. 
There's that great story about a young lad who went for a job uh, using Morse code. And um, as he sort of sat in the waiting area, he was asked to fill out a form and sort of sat down. And um, there was, I think, four or five other people already there ahead of him. And after a few minutes, um, they noticed that this young man got up and went to the door and went into this office. And they thought, I don't know where he's going. None of us have been called yet. And a couple of minutes later, uh, the employer came out with this lad, shook his hand, said goodbye to him, and then said to them all, uh, the job is filled. Thank you very much for your time. You can go. Some of you know what's coming. And they sort of like, eh? You know, we haven't been called in, and they were indignant. And he said, well, in the time that you've been sitting here, we have been playing uh, in Morse code the message that said, if you hear this message, come to the office straight away. Don't wait to be called. The job is yours. And the one person who understood the Morse code message was also identifying that they were qualified to take the role. And I love that because it's not that we have to sit in silence and be so disciplined that we can't get on with our lives, quite the opposite. But we need to be tuned in to the voice of the Holy Spirit above the clatter, above the clatter of opposition. And when that happens, it means that we can live with the confidence that we will overcome. We are called to be co-laborers with him. And as co-laborers of the church, we are the church. The church isn't the building, it's us. And that means I am the church when I am in the prison. You are the church when you are in your day-to-day business or at the school gate or in your family or in your cul-de-sac or in your neighborhood or in your flat. We are the church, and as we co-join with him, we get to call on him. And verse 4, Nehemiah looks up and he says, Hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. You know, that feels like a prayer I have prayed. (laughs) What about you? And so the second thing then is to move close. And we pick this up in verse 12. Those who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. Therefore, I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Nehemiah collects the people. He gathers them in. He moves them closer. He doesn't leave them exposed along the whole reign of that. He says, let's gather in. The enemy wants to scatter, but we are part of an upside down kingdom where the character of our king is an inviter. He gathers us in. Nobody is left out, not by our king sometimes by us. And that is a word that we need to figure out, that everybody is welcome. And in this story, he gathers them in. Now, I guess what this is saying is, when you are in opposition, don't isolate yourself. I'm gonna put my hand up and be really open that this out of the three is the one I struggle most with where busyness gets in the way. Maybe like me, post-COVID, you were sort of thinking it was so convenient to watch online from my bed in my pajamas. And actually it's been a different challenge for us to get back in the building. And yet it is wonderful that we can now be able to live stream. That is such a gift that came out of COVID, isn't it? And yet, 
for me, it became something that was being a hindrance. And the challenge of my life was do not let busyness hold you apart from the body of Christ. And, you know, not everybody's experience of church has been great. And if that is your experience here, then I am sorry. As a trustee as well, I am sorry. You know, it's something that I really am interested in. As a single person, I'm interested in it. So many times it is possible to walk into um, opportunities and feel isolated. And we want this church to be the opposite. We want this church to be a body of people where we know we've got each other's backs, right? You know, who has your back? I'll tell you who has mine. There's a guy in the 930 service called Andrew. And almost every week, he texts me and says, how can our group be praying for you? And do you know what? I almost let pride get in the way of saying, oh, yes, please, here's another prayer request. And even as I sometimes text him back, I feel like I'm draining him. You know, like, oh yeah, here's another really important thing to please pray for. And sometimes the important thing is really something quite small. But what is that? That's the enemy. Somebody is saying, we want to stand with you. We've got your back. You're in opposition. We're going to move close. And what's my response? Oh, thank you so much. And um, I don't want to burden you. Right? I can't be the only one. We've got to move close. And the third one is hold tight. Verse 18. I love, love, love this verse. This is my favorite verse in the whole story. Each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. The builders got on with building. They had a trowel in one hand and they had their sword slapped to their side in the other, ready for use. They weren't taking chances. They weren't saying, oh, we have to pick one or the other. They were saying, while we work, we will also be ready. And he grouped them in families. I imagine that was so that they could care for each other, so they could do community together, so they could encourage each other, so they could wave off Sambalat and Tobiah and the others that were coming around to mock and discourage. They didn't let that happen. And this is the extraordinary thing. 52 days later, not letting that opposition stand in the way of the progress. They not only progressed, they completed. Like, I love that. What in your life? is stuck because of opposition, because of a discouragement that has felt like it's dormant for decades, that actually could be 52 days away from victory. You know, victory is something I pray about a lot. I think I've shared with you before that my name Nicola means victory. And I was praying this past year about victory in each of these um, situations that I was finding myself in. Just this morning as I arrived, somebody spoke to me and she said, I've, um, I've just seen like a cloak around you and it is you walk with the celebration of victory. She doesn't even know me, but my God does. And he knew that encouragement for me today is, is almost a foresight of what I believe is a prophetic um, conclusion of my prayers. What is it you need in your life? Where are the promises of God for you that are kind of dormant at the moment because we haven't engaged with them? Hold tight. The sword is represented of this, the, the word of God. 
And yet, if we want to hold tight to the promises of God, we have to first know them. I've just um, finished reading a book called The Tartan Pimpernel. Has anybody read this book before? Um, somebody gave me a copy to read and I read it in a single day flat. It was so engrossing. And it's about this man um, called Donald Caskey, who is a Scottish minister from the Isle of Islay, um, who was um, serving in a church in France during the World War II. And um, when he had the opportunity to be brought back to Scotland, he felt God nudging him not to go. And he felt that he would stay and serve um, uh, the Jewish community and also um, help allied soldiers and, and um, those uh, that were in need of, of sort of protection. Um, and as because of that, he basically was imprisoned by the Nazis. And I just want to share one story from this that just speaks into what we're talking about, holding tight to the promises of God. He says this, in one particular stretch of solitary confinement, I yearned for my Bible and the words of the apostles filled my head. I began to murmur whole chapters of the Bible aloud to myself, not chanting, but whispering and reflecting. My mind moving over the words as it did in peacetime, and as it still does when I work on sermons or seek advice or solace and sorrow. The book might have been open before me. I saw its pages in my mind's eye. This vision came to me. Now, God can supernaturally intervene and do whatever he wants. He can show us full books of the Bible. But listen to this. Donald decided to scratch a few verses from Isaiah 43 onto the wall. And um, he'd been in the cell, and along the wall was all of these names, almost like a roll, a roll of honor of those that had been in the cell. And he'd scratched his own name underneath. And then as he finished that, all smug and proud with what he'd done, he thought, hang on, I'm the padre. And so on another piece of the wall, he wrote out these words from Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And shortly after that, he was moved out of that cell and into another cell. And a time after that, a second prisoner was flung into this new cell with him. And he was a French soldier. And as they began to talk in those few days they had together, this French soldier told him, I was terror-stricken when I got arrested. I knew too much. I was afraid that I might betray my friends. I was on the point of cutting a vein and killing myself when I looked at the wall. The wall of my cell and saw words that stayed my hand and brought me comfort and strength. I am no longer afraid. I will never forget those words. And he began to recite the words from Isaiah 43. How incredible are the promises of God when we can hold tight to them in the middle of opposition. So what does this mean for our lives? Well, Matthew 16, 18 says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. 
As I said at the beginning, if we are co-laborers with Christ, then we are invited to build his church. But that also means that we will face opposition. Jesus is building his church. And as the church, he is building into our lives. What is it that he's building into your life right now? Is it your business? Is it your family? Is it opportunity? Is it influence? He is building his church. And if you are his church, then I promise you, friends, he wants to build in you. But each of us needs to take a commitment to get fit at using these three things. Look up, move close, hold tight. It's gonna take obedience. It's going to take discipline. And it is going to take faith. It doesn't matter what the area of your life is. John 16.33 warns us, you will have trouble. But then he says this great phrase, but take heart. How often do we use that phrase with each other? Take heart. I'm going to start using it. I love it. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And so I think there's a number of ways we can respond today. First, For some of us, I think we need to start looking up. I think there are people here today that are facing deep opposition but have never thought about looking away from it and looking up. For you, that is probably the the altering opportunity in that situation. And the more that you do it, the more that we do it, the more disciplined we become at honing that muscle and saying, I'm gonna take my eyes off what the enemy is telling me and I'm gonna look to the king. That is where our victory lies. So for some of us, it is a call to start looking up. The more you do it, the more that you will be able to say, Jesus, you are the one that called me by name. I am yours, without you I am lost, but with you I overcome. And for others of us, we need to move close. This is the one for me. You know, who has our backs? Where are we letting people into our lives? I need my friends, you need your friends. I need my church family, you need your church family. And so maybe for some of you, the application is to think about joining a group. Maybe you're new here and haven't yet been to the welcome supper. You know, there's so many opportunities. Maybe you want to serve in welcome. You know, I feel so welcomed at this church. And if you have that real gift upon you, what a blessing you could be to our group here by being the person that we see when we walk in. I tell you, it makes a difference. And then the third way for some of us, or actually all of us, that we need to practice holding tight to the promises of God. And to hold tight to the promises of God, we have to know what they are. I challenge you, the next time you're out for a walk, take your earbuds out, just meditate on who God is, on his promises, the worship this morning, the way that we led into this word. How beautiful. What an opportunity to just rest in his presence, to say you are worthy, you are holy, you are adored, and then to declare you are the overcomer, you are the one who gives victory, you are the one who has my life in your hands. Let's stand together if we're able to or we want to. 
I think there's a real opportunity here for us to be able to, um, as you know, I can't remember who it was, it might be Owen saying, you know, we're, we're going to leave with joy. You know, there's an opportunity to leave with joy because we're cut free, because we're set free. And so that's kind of the first area that I think, you know, we can really be saying, you know, here's something to lay down. As we lay stuff down, we then get kind of freed up. So I'm going to hand over to the team, but I just want to pray for us before we do that. Father, we come to you recognizing that there may be areas in our lives that we have submitted to the lies of the enemy. And here and now, we break that off in Jesus' name. We stand for your word and we stand for your truth and your goodness and your endurance. And we say, Lord, thank you that when we face trouble, we can take heart because you have overcome. Thank you that you are building the church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Thank you, Lord. We hold tight to your promises. Father, I pray that you would shift things in our life today that have been dormant, that now are gonna get accelerated. Father, would you bring the 52 days into our situations, Father? Would you get good people around us? Would you help us to discover who has our backs and would you show us who we are meant to gather around? As we move close, Father, would you do extraordinary things in King's Arms, in our church, in our lives, Lord, we offer our lives to you again. Come and have your way. Come and do miracles in our lives. Thank you for the healings we see in this church. Thank you for the opportunities that are just extraordinary and could only be achieved by heaven. And Lord, when we meet you face to face, we wanna hear the well done, you good and faithful servant. We pray that you would give us the courage to endure. Amen. Amen.